If you would, take your Bible or a pew Bible if you need and turn with me to the epistle of 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. This is our second week in 1 John chapter 2. We're in the midst of this verse-by-verse study through 1 John, through this powerful little book. It's only five chapters packed full of truth, and this morning we're going to look at some great truths as well. I really want us to grasp what the Holy Spirit impressed upon John to write down for us. Contained within this epistle is a series of spiritual tests. We've talked about this every week up until this point. And you recall in chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, we said that was the Christ test. We see the Christ test. A person says, I believe in Jesus. Well, which one? Is it the true Jesus as He was when He walked the earth, as He is now seated at the right hand of the Father, as He will be when He returns one day and maybe one day soon to judge the world in righteousness? Is that the one that you believe in? Is your trust in the true Jesus as He is revealed in the Holy Scriptures, or is it one that has been formed by the desires of the world? Because the latter one does not exist. One says that they believe in Jesus. You believe in Jesus, good, the Bible says. So do the devils, and they tremble. If your belief in Jesus is a true saving one, you're going to to tremble too. And that belief will direct you, will direct how you live, which leads to the next test. And we saw in chapter 1, verses 5, 6, and 7, the light test. A person cannot profess to believe in Jesus. They cannot profess to love Jesus. They cannot profess to walk with Jesus and then still live like the world. You cannot profess to have been saved by the one who is the light of the world. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 12, he said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And remember, we said the word walk in the Bible speaks to the normal routine practice of one's life. Does a true believer at the very moment in which they're saved, does they just completely stop sinning all of a sudden? No. No, I wish that were true, but it's not. We do not stop sinning. What happens is that now a true believer can no longer enjoy sin. What happens is the Holy Spirit of God comes and takes up residence inside the heart of the believer and makes the true child of God sensitive to sin. The Holy Spirit makes the believer aware of their own sin and aware of the holiness of God. And when the believer sins now, they they cannot continue in it long before they have to confess it and make it right with God, which leads to the next test of 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, the confession test. We said that was the hallmark, the third hallmark that John puts to us as as true Christian confesses their sin. They regularly confess their sin to God. A true believer, when they sin, they will admit that they have done wrong. They will seek to make the necessary amends. They will seek forgiveness from those whom they have wronged, especially the Lord. And they will also be quick to forgive those that have sinned against them. They don't play the blame game. They don't play the victim. They don't say that they're, they're the way they are as a product of their environment. They don't lay lay the blame at the feet of their parents and and say that it was because of the way that they were brought up 
When a true believer sins, they own it and they confess it. When we looked at chapter 2, uh, verses 1 and 2, we saw that John uh, gave those three tests in chapter 1 so that a true believer will not sin. We said that it should be the earnest desire of every true believer not to sin, to walk in such a manner that you wholeheartedly lean upon the Lord in order to have victory over the temptation to sin. And we said that God has given us four tools, four blessings to help us in our battle against sin, the Bible, the Holy Spirit of God, prayer, and our church. Then in 1 John, the second part of chapter chapter 2, verse 1 through verse 2, we saw that when we do fall into sin, we have an advocate who is seated at the right hand of God the Father, and it is God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when the devil comes and brings accusations against us, Jesus is our divine defense attorney. And the plea that he puts forth on behalf of all those that trust in him is his perfect, sinless, cleansing blood. And no accusation that the devil can bring will overturn that plea. So that brings us to this morning to verses 3 through 6 of chapter 2. And I want to read them to your hearing. And I want to speak to you upon this subject. Obedience is not optional. 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 3, Hear now the word of the true and living God. And hereby we do know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. He that saith, I know Him, and keepeth not His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth His word in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby we know that we are in Him. He that saith, he that, he that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. Let us pray. God, our Father, we do pray that you would pour out your blessing not just upon the reading and the hearing of your precious holy word, but also upon its proclamation. God, these are spiritual words that we cannot understand with our finite human hearts and with our finite human minds. So we pray that you would open our eyes through the spirit of the living God, that you would give us understanding to how we could obey your words, that how we could apply your words, that how we could better serve you. All these things we ask and pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Let's jump right into this passage. Verse three, we see our first point, which is the test publicized. We see the test, the test of obedience publicized. One of the main themes of 1 John is this theme of assurance. One of the reasons why John wrote this letter was to encourage the readers that they were truly saved. You recall that we said that the reason why John wrote the gospel of John was so that a person would know how to be saved and that he wrote 1 John so that a person could be assured that they are saved. If you flip over to 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13, I've given to you, you this several times. It is the main verse that sums up why John wrote this epistle. Or he says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know. Know. Know beyond a shadow of a doubt. Not ponder. Not wonder. Not have anxiety and stress. But know that you have eternal 
life. And so John writes this epistle and in them he places these spiritual tests in order to assure true believers that they had truly been saved. Assurance of salvation is the greatest blessing that a person can know this side of heaven. To know that your sins have been forgiven and that your name has been written in heaven and that there is a place that has been prepared for you there. We're familiar with the lyrics of the old hymn, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine, right? Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. To To possess assurance, to possess assurance of salvation is in a sense to experience heaven on earth. Let me give you some cross references, some cross verses that that are a great source of encouragement to the true child of God. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, that means declared righteous. Therefore, having been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is something that I tried to get across to the young people. Every man and woman on this earth desperately needs peace with God. We tried to really hammer that home this week. More than anything else, every man and woman needs to have peace with God. I think about how often I see people that I know, people that I'm related to, you know, online. They go online on their social media accounts because social media for many people is nothing but just an online diary, right? They put it out there for the for the entire world to see. And I think about people that go on there and they talk about the difficulties that go on in their life. They talk about how they go on and on about how hard things are for them. And I want so desperately to, 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 to sit them down and to tell them and not come off as this judgmental Christian, because I know from experience is why I, I, I know why they're going through this, that the root cause of the trouble and the problems that they're having is because they are not doing right by the Lord. Let me just get right down to this. God is not going to bless your sin. God has given commands. It's what we see here. If we keep His commandments, these are commands, not suggestions, not self-help ideas. God has spoken on a matter, and if He has spoken upon it, what He says is final. Not our feelings, but what He says. And I tell you from personal experience, And what I want to tell every person that that their heart breaks because nothing seems to be going right for them. Nothing will begin to go right. Nothing will even begin to go right for a person until you first have peace with God and you give Him the place in your life that He deserves and that He desires. And that's first. That's for Him to be the first the center of all things. He's to be the first and center above everything else in our life, above our job, above things, our hobbies, things we like to do, even above our spouses and above our children. We went around the room and we talked about how how much we have been blessed by the earthly father that our heavenly father gave us. We're supposed to love our Heavenly Father even more than the the precious love that that we had for our earthly father. He is to be the center above above any and all things. And And when he is, when you have that peace, 
When you have that peace of knowing God, because you, there, there, there's different types of peace in the Bible. There's peace with God, peace from God, peace of God, and peace on earth. There will never be peace upon this earth until the Prince of Peace returns and sets everything right. We go as Christians is a command of the gospel, right? We go forth sowing seed, but it will never truly be victorious until he returns, plants his feet on the Mount of Olives and sets up his earthly kingdom. But then there's peace of God and peace from God. The peace from God is that, 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 that peace that, that you get from obeying him. From obeying his commandments. The peace of God is that peace that passes all understanding. You won't have that until you first have peace with God. And as the, as the verse said, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And when you have that peace, when you know Jesus Christ as Savior, when you have that peace, it's a peace that never leaves you. It's a peace that never leaves you. It's a peace that allows you to turn the news off with all of its stress, with all of its fear. I've, I've said it for two and a half, two and a half, almost three years now. If you don't have something to stress about, turn TV on, turn the news on. They'll throw something at you quick, fast, and in a hurry to get you worked up and uh, terrified. But the peace of God allows you to turn that thing off with all of its fear, with all of its stress propagation, and lay down and go to sleep soundly, knowing that you are either going to be fine or you're going to be fine. Because you have the peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 16. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we belong to Him. The Holy Spirit of God comes to and then sets up residence inside the true believer. And he bears witness, right? When we don't know what to pray, is what Paul is talking about in Romans 8. And when we don't know what to pray, the Spirit makes intercession for us. He talks to God for us. And in verse 16, it talks about the reverse of that. That God speaks to us and testifies to our spirit by the Spirit of God. In John chapter 10, verse 27. John chapter 10, verse 27 and following. Great source. Great source of comfort and peace. The Lord Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. That speaks about that activity that the young people went through yesterday. You hear those who have truly been born again, those that have truly been saved, know the voice of of the Savior. It may not be audible. It may not be the, the audible voice of God. But that conviction comes when, when, to tell you when not to do something. He speaks to you and you hear that voice and you listen. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And listen to this. I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. And no one will ever snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. True assurance of salvation is a precious gift of God. And it is a gift that God wants all of his children to know. If a person has truly been redeemed, God does not want his children doubting their salvation. 
He does not want them bound up in anxiety and depression and fear. He wants them to know that they know that they know that they have eternal life. But sadly, there is a such thing as a false assurance of salvation. There are people who think themselves to be saved. They think themselves to be right with God, yet they have never had a true life-changing encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what happens when a person trusts in anything else other than Jesus Christ. People trust and consider themselves to be right with God based on things like church membership or church attendance. Just because, just because you come to church just because you're a member of a church does not make you a Christian. You can be on the roll of every church of every denomination in Martinsville and Henry County and Danville and Pennsylvania County. It's probably a thousand of them if you put them all together. But if your name's not in the Lamb's Book of Life, you are not truly saved. Baptism. So many people trust in the fact that somebody dunked them in some water. You can be dunked in every baptismal pool, every creek, every river on this earth. You can buy you a plane ticket and fly over to Israel and be baptized in the River Jordan in the exact spot that the Lord Jesus himself was baptized. That does not mean that you're saved. That is not the source of your salvation. Baptism displays what has already taken place. Baptism displays that that person has been saved. It is the outward demonstration of what God has done. Then there's this thing called the sinner's prayer. A lot of people hang their hope for eternity on the fact that at one time in their life, they repeated some words as they that was uh, told to them. And the person telling them the words said that if they would just repeat those words back, they could be assured that they were saved. You don't find that anywhere in the Bible. You do not find that method anywhere in the Bible. You do not find the apostles ever coaxing people into an emotional decision. You don't ever find the apostles coaxing people into walking an aisle. You don't ever find the apostles anywhere in the New Testament telling people to bow their heads and shut their eyes and don't look around and just slip your hand up and bam, it's all done. Has God worked through those means? Yes, in spite of the people that did it. But that's not, but trusting in that alone is not saving faith. The call of Christ is to repent of sin and trust in Jesus, trust in who he is and what he has done and receive the gift of salvation. That's what we did with the children. We didn't try to coax them, and the young people, we didn't try to coax them into de- to a decision. We planted seed and we're trusting God to bring forth the harvest. And so that, that's what happens when, what happens when a person has a false assurance of salvation because they're trusting in anything other than Jesus Christ what happens? You look at their life, they're not walking in truth. They're not seeking to live a holy set-apart life. They do not seek to live lives set apart from the world because a true, real, saving relationship with Jesus Christ will bring about a changed life. I've given you this analogy before. It's not mine. It's by a pastor, a preacher by the name of Paul Washer. He's head of that ministry that we support, Heart Cry Missionary Society. Paul Washer said one time, he said, you know, 
What if I were to, you know, and I'll use it as me, as pastor of this church. What if I didn't show up till right now? What if I didn't get here till right now? Sunday school's already happened. All the psalms have been sung. Prayer request time. All of it has happened. And what if I just showed up right now and I said, hey, sorry I'm late. I got hit by a logging truck and that's why, that's why I'm late. You're going to look at me and say one of two things. Either one, I'm insane or I'm a liar. Why? Because you cannot have an encounter with a logging truck and come out of it unchanged. Just like you cannot have a true encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ and come away unchanged. Let me ask you this morning, do you have the assurance of your salvation this morning? Can you say with absolute assurance what it says there in verse 3, hereby we know that we know Him. Can you say with absolute assurity that you know that you know? Can you say with absolute assurance that you know, that you know, that you know that your sins have been forgiven and that you truly know the Lord Jesus Christ? Is the Lord Jesus Christ the anchor of your soul? There's a popular song that's entitled The Anchor Holds. I've, hung, I've heard it sung at a bunch of funerals. I think it's supposed to be about Jesus, even though his name's not mentioned anywhere in the song. God is mentioned by name one time, but the lyrics are, uh, can be applied. The chorus says, the anchor holds, though the ship is battered. The anchor holds, though the sails are torn. I have fallen on my knees as I have faced the raging seas. The anchor holds in spite of the storm. The Lord Jesus Christ is that anchor. He is the anchor. And when the storms of life are raging and they're rocking you to your very core, when the storms drive you to your knees, when you're seeking to do all that you can to do right by the Lord, to do right by man, to live a, a life pleasing in the sight of God, but yet and still we have to operate inside of this sin, fallen, sin-cursed, satanically influenced world where we're subject to the sinful decisions of others, right? Where we're subject to the groaning of creation with uh, disease and we try as we might to do right, but nothing ever still seems to go right. It seems like the harder we try to do right, everything just keeps going wrong and wrong and wrong and more wrong. And it seems like that it's just impossible for everything, anything to go right. And you feel forsaken and alone. The bedrock hope that keeps you from losing it and keeps you from giving up is knowing that you belong to Jesus. Is knowing that you belong to Jesus. To know that He loves you. To know that you are the object of His love. And that He loved you before you ever existed. That he planned and that he purposed to suffer and to die for you before you were ever born and before you ever committed your first sin. And that part of that bedrock hope is knowing that you belong to Jesus is knowing that you belong to him forever. And that's something that can never, 
be taken away from you. You can work hard. You can work hard all you want to in this life. You can save money. You can buy you a house. You can pay it off. You can get the deed sent to you. You can put it, you can put it in a, a frame and put it on your wall. Put it in a safe. Do whatever you want to do to with it. And say it's yours. Don't pay the taxes on it. See how long you get to stay there. It can be anything that we acquire physically in this life can break down, can go bad, can be destroyed, can be gone in an instant. But when the Lord Jesus Christ gives you the gift of salvation, it can never be taken away from you. It can never be forfeited. It can never be lost. You can never send it away. It cannot be bought, sold, duplicated, or copied. And that's the bedrock hope that Christ Jesus has saved you and saved you in spite of you for all eternity. Let me read that again. John chapter 10, verses 27 and following. He said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. If you are truly in Christ, then you are eternally secure. Jesus gives eternal life, not term life. His policy does not have term limits. It will not run out. And, it's, and that is not an insurance policy. I always have to make, to, 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 to make this clarification because so many people have just walked all over top of this truth. The eternal security of a believer is not an assurance that gives the green light to go out and sin. No, it is motivation to not sin. Look what it says in verse 3. It says, and hereby we do know that we know Him if. There's that big word again. Two letters. Biggest, smallest word in the English language, but the most powerful. Hereby we do know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. How do we know that we truly know Jesus Christ? We know by if, if we obey His commandments. With inside the heart of every true born-again believer is a desire to please and obey your heavenly Father. And obedience to, to Christ is not an option. It is a command. These aren't self-help suggestions that you find in a, in a magazine. These are divine authoritative commands that are to be followed. And you can be assured of having true saving faith in Jesus Christ if you obey what He tells you in His Word. We are not saved by keeping the commandments. We keep the commandments to show that we have been saved. We keep them because it is the will of God for every man and for every woman. And I'll get into this more next week. Wes touched on this a little bit in Sunday school and he didn't realize it. God gives us the commandments the Big Ten, and every other commandment that we see in the Scripture to keep us out of trouble, to keep us out of trouble, to keep us in line, to keep us in His holy will, to keep us safe. And it says in, um, in, in uh, chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, 
It says, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. How do we love God? By loving His kids. Love God, love His kids. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and that His commandments are not grievous. They're not burdensome. Jesus says, if you, if you love me, then keep my commandments. If you love me, then do what I tell you to do. And I'm going to stop right there for today. And I'm going to leave, I want to leave you with this. I want to leave you with this. For the true believer, when the enemy shoots his fiery arrows of temptation and doubt and the lies of the devil come into your mind and try to convince you that Christ has not saved you, when those doubts pile up and they pile up and they pile up, look at your life. Look at your life. Look where the Lord Jesus Christ has brought you from and look what he has brought you to. You might say, well, yeah, but I'm a mess. Well, you're a redeemed mess. You're his mess. You're the mess that he bought at the price of his own life. No, you may not be the person that you should be, but glory be to God, you're not the person that you used to be. Not because of who you are or anything that you've done, but in spite of who you are and what you have done. Because you've been purchased by the blood of the one who is a far greater Savior than you and I are a sinner. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and how I've truly unworthily tried to unfold it. Father, I pray that every person here Every person under the sound of my voice that knows you as Savior and Master, as Lord of life, that they have that assurance, that they have that peace that passes all understanding, that they know, that they know, that they know, that they know that they belong to you. Not because they're so great a person, but because you are so great a Savior. Thank you, Lord, for the marvelous, matchless gift of salvation and the peace that comes from knowing Him, knowing that no matter what comes of this life, no matter what the world says is on the horizon, no matter what dangers we're told that are out there, for the child of God that knows Jesus Christ, we're either going to be fine or we're going to be fine. Thank you, Lord, for loving us the way that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.